Hello, and welcome to this Men's Health Squad conversation with eight times CrossFit Games athlete, Brent Fakowski. We covered a ton of ground in this conversation with Brent looking back at his personal history in the sport of CrossFit, as well as the history and evolution of the sport itself. Brent is a huge advocate for the establishment and cultivation of more professional standards in CrossFit and the sport of fitness in general. To this end, he and other athletes and coaches in CrossFit have founded the Professional Fitness Athletes Association, where they seek to raise the standards in CrossFit and functional fitness competition, as well as providing a voice for the athletes. We spoke at length about what Brent believes is holding back the competitive fitness world and causing athletes to seek their competitive fitness fix elsewhere, as well as what Brent believes could be introduced into the CrossFit world to bring those standards more in line with other more grandfathered sports. Brent also gave some incredibly insightful tips for anyone looking to try and balance a burgeoning training career alongside a full-time job, a situation he himself was in when he took silver medal at the 2017 CrossFit Games. Brent also elucidated on some absolutely fantastic tips for anyone looking to capitalize on a little bit of New Year's resolution energy as we build up to the CrossFit Open. I think this was a great conversation for anyone interested in CrossFit, functional fitness, or organized sports in general. And Brent, of course, is a CrossFit legend. I saved my gushing until after the cameras stopped rolling, but trust me, it was there. Enjoy. Brent, thanks for uh, joining us today, dude. Yeah, good to be here. How are you? I'm all right. I'm good. good. Before we get started, what if you could give us a kind of potted history of your career in fitness? Oh, boy. Uh, so we're talking like CrossFit or kind of before that, like sport? Whatever you think is relevant. Yeah, uh, I, I always grew up playing sports. I didn't really watch a lot of sports. Like we, we weren't a household that had the TV on and we were watching, you know, footy or hockey or anything but my dad and my mom played sports and so I was swimming I was playing volleyball I did a little bit of track and field when I was younger and then uh, when I was getting to the end of high school wanted to play post-secondary so kind of had the option to swim or play volleyball so ended up playing volleyball uh, indoor for two years and then played some beach and then sort of stumbled my way into a CrossFit gym uh, upon some recommendations from some volleyball players and that's when I was 21 Yes, I was 21 years old, and this was in 2012, in like April. And yeah, immediately like really enjoyed it, kind of had a knack for it. And yeah, here we are like, what is that, 11 and mm -hmm. change years later, still enjoying it, still better than ever, which is, you know, exciting. And now I'm 32. And uh, yeah, so since, you know, so with CrossFit, it kind of turned into something that was like a weekend warrior thing, something I was doing to get better. I was doing it to get better at volleyball, really, to jump higher, hit the ball harder, that sort of thing. And then, you know, someone dragged me to a local comp and I was like, oh, I don't really want to do that. They're like, no, no, you'll love it. And I did. And then, uh, yeah, that just kind of spiraled into taking up more and more of my time. Um, I was still in school and then I had a job and then got to a point where it was just too much to balance both. So now I'm, you know, just full time training and you know, doing stuff like this, <laughs> full-time fabulous. <laughs> At what point on that timeline was it where you kind of thought, I can really make something out of this, like career-wise? Yeah, I never really thought that until it was like painfully obvious and financially somewhat secure, as secure as any individual kind of sport can yeah. be, um, you know, because we're not on like a contract like you might have a in a team sport. You might have like a four-year, you know, contract that doesn't exist in this sort of sport. 
Uh, and so it was never really the goal. I just always wanted to, to get better and to do better. And so for a while, that goal was to make it to the CrossFit Games, which is, you know, our world championship. And that was kind of the the guiding force that was guiding all my training and kind of every decision I made during the day. And then when that happened, I made it and then came fourth that very year, had some sponsors, but it's still, I, I really enjoyed my job. I had a great job. I worked in a tech company that was a lot of fun. And so it wasn't like, oh, great, now I can quit this job. That was never really yeah. the, the plan. Uh, but then it just got to a point where I was spending more and more time like managing sponsor relationships. I wanted more time to train and it was just getting really tough to do both. And then when I did finally quit the job, I like, I know immediately I was like, I have no idea how I did this before because it didn't seem like I was training more, but all of a sudden time just sort of just was like a vacuum. <laughs> like, how did I do both yeah. before? I don't, I still don't really know, but. You are, that's a beautiful segue actually, so thank you very much for setting me up yeah, for that. But no you're, a, you're a, obviously a huge advocate for sort of the, the establishment and cultivation of professional standards for functional fitness, you know, competitive yeah. functional fitness athletes. Where did that, is that something that came from your own experience or what, what is it you think kind of needs to change um, to sort of bring the sport of fitness and, you know, CrossFit in line with other sports? Yeah, how much time do you have? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I think, yeah, so, you know, I'm one of the founding uh, people who made the PFA, right? It's an athlete association. So in every major sport, there's an athlete association or a union. And, you know, the reason for that is simple. It's like to look out for the interests of the athletes and especially in individual sports. If those athletes don't do it themselves, they'll be taken advantage of and, you know, there's other people that have interests and those interests are going to come first. So, you know, it's the idea of making, you know, our interests, making sure that they're met, but really like in our sport, because it's so new, the type of things that we are trying to, or the PFA is trying to do are so like rudimentary. It's hardly even, you could define it as professionalizing the sport. Quite frankly, it's organizing the sport. Right. And there's kind of a resistance to that in a lot of places because our sport and this like way of training is very contrarian. Yeah. So it's very like anti-establishment. Yeah. It's anti, oh, you go to the gym and you know, you're on a machine, like we're the machines. Yeah. yeah. Or, oh, your sport, you know, has rules, like we don't have rules. Yeah. And so it's trying it's to edge lord mentality. It's, yeah, yeah, it's a little yeah, yeah, it's edgy. It's, you know, it's it's anti whatever yeah. is normal. And so trying to move away from that a little bit and, you know, create standards of safety, standards of just fairness and consistency. Mm. So when you go to a competition and they have a movement like a sandbag clean, it's like, oh, these are the standards. These are the standards that work. And so when you go to an event, a lot of times they'll brief, you know, let's a sandbag clean and it'll be a fresh set of rules that might not be easy to enforce from a judging perspective that maybe you've never practiced before. And it just leaves room for issues and drama yeah. that doesn't need to be there because the excitement isn't in people making mistakes and dealing with that fuss for the next few days or weeks online, the excitement is in watching the best athletes race at the things that they're the best at while still having like, you know, I, I I'm not a proponent of just, Hey, every competition you go to is one of these 10 workouts. And yeah. Like, you know, you don't get to make up new events. Like we all want new events. Uh, and so a lot of what we're doing, um, is just trying to create some consistency, start from kind of square one, even though the sport's been around now for, you know, 15 years or so still a lot of things that yeah there's just not a lot of uh not a lot of rules or consistency and so where did that i think you where did that start from where did that come from uh I, i'm an organized guy like you know i was an accountant and uh 
always been pretty organized. And so it's just constantly seeing these issues and all the athletes kind of moaning and groaning about frustrations at a briefing or after a competition. We're like, oh man, that was, oh, that was a lot. And then you just go back to training and I was just kind of sick of doing that cycle over and over yeah. again. So tried to break the cycle and try to make some change. What do you think are the biggest downsides of not having that, you know, on a sort of long enough time scale as it pertains to the sport of CrossFit? If this doesn't happen, what do you see as the, the sort of the consequences of that? Yeah, I think it hinders growth. Yeah. Right. You know, I think I've seen athletes that, you know, maybe didn't have the potential to be a world champion, but had the had the interest and the potential to be highly involved in the sport on a competitive level as a coach or as a, as an athlete. And they gave up on it yeah. even. So I have a friend who coaches, uh, does a lot of online coaching and three of his athletes within the last few months said, Hey, I'm, I'm training for high rocks now, mm, which was, is great. Like high rocks yeah. is cool, right? Like I have nothing against high rocks. Uh, but you know, because it's, there's like these structured events clear. that make sense. Very it's clear. clear. Yeah. I know what I'm training for. It's exciting. And when I train hard, I will see an improvement in my time. I'll go yeah. from an hour and 10 minutes to an hour and eight. And that's accomplishment. It's the same with a triathlon. It's the mm -hmm. same with a marathon. And those are kind of what you're competing against as, as a, if you're looking at CrossFit as a competitive sport. Yeah. Uh, and so over the years, like I've known people that have lost interest and kind of went back to playing like recreational volleyball yeah. because, you know, they made it to an event that they've been training so hard for. And there were issues at the event that were very avoidable that kind of ruined that experience for them. And they thought, what, what am I doing? I'm training yeah. so hard for this. I could train half as hard and then compete every third weekend in a beach volleyball event and have a lot of fun and see progress. What's, where's, the, where's the juice here? And so I'm fortunate that at the level I'm at, I have a lot of opportunity to compete, right? I have the Rogue Invitational, I have Wadapalooza. I pretty confidently make semis. The games is still challenging to make, but I, so I've got, you know, I can compete six times a year if I want yeah. to against athletes of my caliber that have meaning. And there's like, there's like a culture and a, and a kind of a ranking amongst those events. But as soon as you're not quite as good as me, it's like, you're just hoping you make semis and then you're hoping you make it maybe through a qualifier to go to some other event. And then there's just not much else there. And then when you do go to those events, you don't know what you're getting. Right. And so you can be left feeling a little, uh, disappointed when it's all over or you can look back on a year or two of training and go man i've been training really hard and like kind of for what yeah and so we want you know we as the pfa but i think in general it's like we want more opportunities to compete for athletes of every level against people of their skill level that's like what sport is right yeah you yeah. know and you can be the what two thousandth best probably ten thousandth best soccer player, football, sorry, uh, we're in the UK and, uh, you can play in meaningful matches, right. Against yeah. people of your level, you know, you don't have to be playing for man city. Yeah, the and, game's the same. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The game is the same and you can, you know, be a professional or semi-professional or whatever you can play as a master 40, whatever. There's like so many opportunities to compete. And so we're because of the lack of organization and the consistency, there's not as many opportunities to compete. And there are people that want to compete. There are a lot mm. of people that want to compete. Um, there's no shortage of those people and there's a shortage of events and they're struggling, I think, to make it profitable, but also, you know, the consistency, um, the lack of consistency hinders the growth. 
If you're enjoying this content, you can watch or listen ad-free on the Men's Health app by joining the Men's Health Squad today. Once you're in the squad, you will have access to tons of exclusive content, including regular member Q&As, interviews, and access to our world-class training platform featuring plans for every level and for any goal. Simply head over to hearstmagazines.co.uk forward slash mh-mag or hit the link below. I, I think about a lot and I think I've discussed this a lot recently with the kind of the rise and rise of high rocks in that when you you look at the, the I guess the Venn diagram of people who are likely to want to be competitive in CrossFit and the personality type hmm. and then that as you say, like what high rocks any other any other organized sport represents in that kind of you can see that your progress event after event it's very trainable, yeah. um, and you're not going to have this thing where you I guess the analogy going back to football soccer would be if you could watch the World Cup but if you went to play Sunday League or five aside you might turn up and they'd be like yeah but today we're playing with a bigger ball or today <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. playing with a smaller ball or today we're playing yeah. with a rugby ball and you'd be like oh, but I haven't practiced this. Do you think that some of the beauty of CrossFit is there though? How do you think you balance that? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a tough balance. You need people with, you need some guidelines and you need people with a lot of experience like writing events so that when you go to the competition, it's sort of like a reasonable amount of variance. And I think that's honestly, that's an area that's fairly, um, it's pretty well done. You know, I think at the Open, for the most part, they've done a really good job of that. It's the same, at, you know, semifinals before that it was called regionals. Even the CrossFit games, you know, when I go there, yeah, like every year it's different, but more or less athletes end up in the, the spot they deserve to be. Um, if the workouts change, would we change positions a bit? Absolutely. I think with that variance that's going to happen, you need more opportunities. Uh, it's kind of like golf, right? Like even the best golfer, you know, they play in how many majors? They're not, even the best golfer in the world is not going to win every major, right? first, 10th, whatever. And if you win a few majors in a year, you've had like a dynamite year. And so with CrossFit, because you have so few opportunities to like display what you have, and then those like a golf course, every golf course is a little different and, you know, wind, rain, longer, more sand traps, whatever. With our event, it's like, oh, this event was heavier, you know, more barbells. And this event was longer workouts and more gymnastics. So yeah, it's going to favor a certain athlete, but over the course of multiple events over the course of a year, you know, it's going to level out yeah. and more or less the best athletes are going to shuffle their way to the top fairly consistently. And so when you're a intermediate athlete, you know, your only touch point might be like the open. Mm. And when you only have three events, it's like you kind of need more touch points throughout the year. And you can still, there's ways to like kind of put some guardrails on the programming where, hey, if you're an intermediate athlete, like these are the types of sets and reps and these yeah. are the movements you're not allowed to do. But those kind of guidelines just don't exist yet. We're like slowly working on them, but it's, it's tough. It's like, you know, there's like 200 movements. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like you need a movement standard for each and the guidelines for each on how many reps are appropriate for which level of athlete. And yeah, it's like potentially a lot of work but. and then just just more it's interesting is it because the, the less there is the kind of less the you've you kind of the less exposure to competition you have the more chance you have of just coming up against something that just isn't in your wheelhouse mm, or just yeah. you can just have a bad event right and yeah then, or a bad judge and yeah, then they yeah, really course, ruin it yeah. for you right and you've you only if you only can compete once a year and you only have five events and one of those events you just have an inexperienced judge and it's like mm. oh my whole year came down to 
you're only competing once whereas in so many other sports you get to compete so much more frequently and then at least those have some consistency and so i think i don't think anyone wants to get away from i think what makes crossfit like exciting is the randomness of the the test or the events right because no other like you have like offense and defense, it's called sports, and you sort of have like athletic races. And so CrossFit is, is a race, and inevitably those are never as exciting <laughs> as offense-defense sports. It just shows yeah. if you look at viewership of any sport, right? It's like tennis, golf, um, tennis, basketball, football. It's like offense-defense. Swimming is never going to be exciting as those. You know, neither is Olympic weightlifting. But with CrossFit, the kind of interesting factor we have that's a little different is the variance. Yeah. Uh, but I think within within reason is kind of like the little asterisks that yeah needs to be solved yeah, yeah you can only push that so far yeah right before yeah. it becomes a, a circus yeah it's a circus yeah. Yeah. yeah and then and then you're getting you know you're getting athletes to do things that they're like not good at and then it doesn't make those athletes like if it's you're looking to make a television product it doesn't yeah. really look make them look that good if we had a rollerblading event and yeah. we're all falling all over yeah. each other like, are these really the best in the world at yeah. this? Like, yeah. what is this? When yeah. you're trying to bring new people in yeah, yeah. to the sport, yeah, you kind of don't want that, right? So again, the analogy of if we took the best football teams in the world and had them kick a boiled egg around, they're going to make themselves look stupid. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, gonna, it's not going to be watchable. It's going to be fun once, isn't it? Yeah. It's going to be yeah, fun yeah. to watch yeah. once and then yeah. it's going to be a bit sad, yeah. Your nickname in the CrossFit scene is The Professor because of your analytical approach to, to workouts and uh, programming in general. And as you've previously mentioned, up until, you know, kind of the peak's the wrong word, but a long way into your career, you were still working a full-time job. As a, as someone with quite an analytical approach, what advice would you give to people who are trying to balance working a full-time job with trying to really take their training more seriously? Like they're, yeah. they're a competitive, competitive athlete. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that you definitely shouldn't put limits on what you can accomplish if you, if you do have, you know, that, because I mean, those were, I mean, those were my best years, right? I came fourth, second and fourth in the world, those years that I was still working full time, mind you, my job, you know, I was working 40 hours a week, but it was flexible. So some days I'd work nine to five, other days I'd work, you know, 11 to seven or whatever. Uh, you know, I think, you know, I didn't have much else going on is a pretty simple way to put it, right? Like I was, I was working and I liked my job. And then I was training and I was getting to bed early and I was meal prepping. You know, I went out for dinner once every three months. I wasn't camping. I wasn't fishing. I wasn't uh, going to concerts, right? Like every weekend was mostly training. And if I did go on like a vacation, you know, to visit family or something, it was like training was very much baked into where we were going and when we were going and when the flights were and when we were returning. And quite frankly, most of my vacation from work was to compete, right? It was like, oh, I have this competition in California, so I'm saving up for that both on my time off requests and also from like, you know, financially, financially yeah. right? So, you know, all of my money was going to, you know, having the occasional massage therapist appointment or getting a new pair of shoes if I needed them. And so, yeah, it's like, you know, dedication to like, those were the two focuses in my life very much. And then I was fortunate that, you know, my partner and now my wife was very supportive of those things and work was as well. Like they were excited for me. And so if I needed to, you know, change my schedule, it was, was possible. And then also just the people around me like understood that. And so I didn't have these people like, Oh, come on, Brent, come out for drinks. It's like, no, I can't. Oh, Brent. Like that just, those people were not in my life at all. And so if you have, it's going to be tough if you have those people and those voices, um, and you have to make a decision if, you know, you, you listen to them or you 
I don't know, like that's up to you to decide. But yeah, it's, um, you know, just training in the morning, training after work, training more on the weekends, being flexible with your rest days. You know, maybe your rest days like Monday instead of Sunday, because Sunday you can train twice. And then yeah, prepping your meals is a big one helps save a lot of money. Otherwise, you'll be buying a lot of food and then you don't have the money, you know, to to pay for training or to buy an extra piece of equipment or to buy a massage, um, you know, appointment, that sort of thing. So it's like kind of a holistic approach. It's like someone's out there that's got a maybe not a job that doesn't have the same prospects as there's a better job in the city, but they can work outside the city for slightly less hours. You know, I never bought a new vehicle, like all those kind of decisions, because all those little things sort of add up. So you have a little more money and a little more time. Did you or kind of would you advise someone to break their training up any differently in terms of what you would focus on in individual sessions when you you kind of couldn't your whole day couldn't be built around training. You had to, yeah. you know, build your training around your day. Did you break your training up any differently then? Yeah, I think just be flexible. You know, I think I was listening to a podcast with a, you know, an Olympian and he, a uh, swimmer, and he did like all of his, pretty much all of his swimming in the morning and then he'd go to class. And that was just how he worked out his day. So he was getting up at, you know, 4.30 a.m. or something and then doing all of his swimming had his classes and then he'd do some dry land stuff or maybe a little more swimming in the afternoon, but get to bed really early. And that just worked for him. And so whatever, whatever works in your schedule for me, it was getting up early. You know, I'd probably get to the gym by 5:30 AM and do like a large session every morning of the week, then go to, then go to work. Cause I found if I got up at, you know, eight and got to work at nine, if I was trying to get in a big session, the gym was busier in the evening at 5 PM. And then I was already just kind of tired from the day. But if I got up and you know, had a snack and just got to the gym. I found I could get in like a solid two hours of training and then, you know, maybe like an hour in the evening or some days I just train two hours a day in the morning and just get it all in, stretch in the night. Yeah. Cause you don't need, you don't need to be in the gym for six hours or five hours to make progress. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And was, yeah. was your training volume like that? You know, the, the years you've obviously, you know, done phenomenally well at the games, but you, was your training volume still what I think a lot of people would consider to be low? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd have to look back, but I mean, for most of the year leading up to those, my, those really solid games performances, fourth, second, fourth, and I've done well since then, <laughs> you know, I came third and fourth, uh, again, the last few years, but, um, in those years, most of the year it was, yeah, it was about two hours in the morning, Monday to Friday. I don't think I did an afternoon session. And then Friday I'd do an afternoon session. Saturday I'd do two big sessions and Sunday was usually rest day. And still, still made a lot of progress. Um, and that's, you know, there's a athlete, Shelby Neal. She just came 19th in the world. And that's kind of what her schedule looks like. It's kind of the other way around. She'll go to work early. She'll go to the gym in the afternoon, train for like two, two and a half hours. And she does that five days a week. And then a big day Saturday and rests on Monday, I think. But, so, you know, so she's, she's doing just fine training about two hours a day. Yeah. I think you mentioned this really early on, but uh, it can become... A kind of self-fulfilling prophecy or definitely a limiting mindset when people automatically concede even if it's subconsciously that anyone who's doing well must be doing it full-time right or even yeah. their their box owners or their you know they yeah. can be in the gym all day right that can become excuse is the wrong word but it you know people set themselves up for failure like that right by yeah. just assuming that anybody who's doing better than me must have something i don't know yeah well and even you know even when i started it was like you know i was tall and skinny, yeah. right? It's like, I'm still the tallest guy at the games and have been for a while. I'm not sure actually now, James Sprague might be taller than me, maybe Yelly Hoste as well. We got to figure that out. But, uh, 
you know, and so at the time, it's like if I'd listened to someone who said something like that, oh, you know, full-time job and, you know, you don't have a strength background and you're too tall. It's like there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of reasons for anyone to not, mm. you know, achieve what they want to. And that doesn't mean that everyone can be a world champion or something, right? But, you know, I think like setting like realistic goals, it's, I think sometimes I'll bump into people as well. On the flip side, they're like, oh, I want to make the games one day. I'm like, let's just focus on making maybe semis in a year, you know, like yeah. let's get there first, figure out what that looks like. And if you have the ability and if you're willing to put in the time and the dedication to get to there, cause everyone's going to have like, you know, kind of a potential and for everyone that's not a world champion. Right. But yeah, I don't think, I don't think more time in the gym. I've, I mean, I've spent time with a lot of athletes of a lot of different levels and rarely is it like, Oh, if you only had 45 minutes a day more in the gym, then that, then you'd reach mm -hmm. your goals. It's, it's usually not the case. It's yeah. all the other decisions they're making um, that are like leading to their success or lack of. Yeah. I think you mentioned that your first CrossFit workout competition was 2012. Does that sound about right? Yeah. yeah. That's over 10 years now. Yeah. What's the, uh, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen? Um, I want to separate here in, in CrossFit as, as a culture, not necessarily as a training methodology, but CrossFit, you know, yeah. the culture. Um, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen there? Oh, gosh. That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I have a good answer for that. Maybe nothing's changed. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think I think it was just, I think it's so hard for me to say because that was just like a very specific, yeah, I suppose that's really my answer is like, I think because I was young and I was like excited about it and I was living in Australia there was this like palpable excitement around it. And then now that I'm older and jaded and boring, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it just feels different. But like, I still see people coming in to a CrossFit gym and having that same level of like, oh man, this feels like this new thing. And I'm so excited to learn. And so I think what they see compared to what I see is just so different. Yeah. Uh, that I don't really know. I don't know if I can answer that. Like, yeah. I don't know if I'm the person to answer that question really well. Uh, I think there's still something, just touch on something you said there, there's still something really cool about when you meet someone who maybe you know someone who has had no, they've, they've never heard the word CrossFit. Right. And they tell you they've just found this new thing. Mm. And yeah, then yeah. I think that that reminds me sometimes of like, this is super cool. Like when someone's like, I've just started doing new things called CrossFit and we do this and then we do this. And then sometimes you seeing yeah. that enthusiasm. Um, I think you're right in that, yeah, you, you it, it becomes a norm to you, doesn't it? It's like, well, yeah, this is, you know, everyone yeah. knows what this thing is. And it's the same as like with food, right? You know, I have a certain way of like my relationship with food and how I see food and what I, what I think is healthy food and not healthy mm -hmm. food. And there's certain people that don't know those things. And yeah. I, I take them for granted and I see them as like common knowledge. And then there's people that just have no idea, you know, like what's a carb? Like, what do you, mm. you mean? Like a, you know, like coffee. I'm like, what, you know? And so I think it's kind of like that with CrossFit. I'm, I'm kind of, I know that I'm so familiar with it now and it's been such a big part of my life for a decade that it's hard for me to I would imagine the way I see it now, I'm sure there were people that saw it that way in 2012 that had been around it f since 2008. Yeah. But for me, it was so new then. And now it's it's not a new thing for me. But, you know, I was I was in a gym today, CrossFit Vauxhall, and it looked like someone was taking like their fundamentals and they were learning things. And they had this excitement around like, you know, figuring out a bar muscle up and stuff. And 
you know, I mean, I've coached people through to get their first bar muscle up. I sell a program to get people their first bar muscle up. I do bar muscle ups for 20 reps at a time and have been for, you know, so it's, I'm so kind of removed from that as well. Cause I'm, I don't see that, uh, mm. that fresh interaction with it. So I think, I think it probably, you know what it probably, if there is something that's changed, it means a lot more different things. Like the, the brand is kind of, and the word is sort of outside of the control of CrossFit Inc. more than it was back then is probably the best way to put it because CrossFit Inc. back then they had the media team. Yeah. And so they were very much in control of the messaging and the branding of what that word means. And I think now, you know, it's been 11 years, they don't have the media team anymore, but because it has grown and without the media team, there's more people, you know, pushing what that word means. Yeah. Um, that it not that it's lost its meaning but it means more things to more people now than it used to yeah and so i think there's more people around you know the world or you know in the western world and stuff that hear that word and think of certain things whereas i think what people heard and then what they would think of was probably more consistent in 2012 for better or for worse but i think that's true with any word yeah um or any you know like whether that's like the word phone yeah or something right it just changes its meaning over time if you're enjoying this content, you can watch or listen ad-free on the Men's Health app by joining the Men's Health Squad today. Once you're in the squad, you will have access to tons of exclusive content, including regular member Q&As, interviews, and access to our world-class training platform featuring plans for every level and for any goal. Simply head over to hearstmagazines.co.uk forward slash mh-mag or hit the link below. I think the, the the definition, or the you know, the, ostensibly the original definition of CrossFit is so broad that over thirteen thousand affiliates, that could be a lot of different things, right? Yeah, yeah. That really could be a lot of different things. And as you say, when you have the when you have a media team, is you're able to keep that a, a little bit tighter. My my experience is twenty twelve or previous. What I would hear uh, a sort of like on the street opinion of CrossFit probably didn't even look like or sound like what actually happened i can remember a time when people uh, were like, oh yeah. what are you flipping tires and then it's things that actually you don't do in yeah, a crossfit like but you battle you, you use sledgehammer yeah, yeah that's yeah, it yeah. right and now i think it's definitely more people they think of the games and they think of yeah the netflix CrossFit. documentaries yeah 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 precisely. yeah yeah because yeah. we record this we're coming into the new year which is traditionally um, a time of you know new year's resolutions and, and people starting their health care but for people who are more serious about sport it's not you know this is potentially a time when people are going to train more than ever because they've got a bit of downtime yeah. from work so forgetting the idea of like here's the you know the new habits you need to foster going into the new year what would your advice be to the more serious sort of competitive trainer because i do think new year's it's a cool time there's this this big energy of new mm. beginnings new chapter that i think people can capitalize on and obviously we are kind of on ramping into the the open the crossfit open what is your what advice would you give to people around this time of year and going into next year to sort of start ramping up for the open? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, you know, something I always harp on is just movement quality. <laughs> so if there's anything you can do to improve your movement quality, uh, and that, that applies for any sport, right? I mean, if I could go back and as a swimmer or volleyball player, I, that would be what I would have spent, spent more time on, you know, is like changing the mechanics of how I swung or changing the mechanics of how I did a flip turn. Uh, and so in the, in the, if you're weight training or you're doing CrossFit, you know, like 
always just trying to refine those mechanics. And so it's building the habits around improving technique. So as opposed to just me saying like, make your technique better. You're like, thanks Brent. And you just go <laughs> along your way. It's like, well, what, what do people do that have good technique? Like what are the habits of those people? And then how can I start those habits? Even if at, in the short term, like immediately they're maybe not improving my technique and what people that have good technique do is they're, they're mindful about what they're doing. Sometimes they move a little bit slower. They might, and if there's, you know, a workout on the board, a CrossFit workout, that's, you know, heavy power cleans, toes to bar and double unders, right? Sometimes they'll get an intentionally slower time for the purpose of moving a little more gracefully, right? And so it's like, hey, I know my toes to bar, I tend to, you know, lose connection and get sloppy and really bend my knees. Well, today I'm going to stay tighter, keep my knees locked, have a tighter, you know, kip and a tighter snap. That's going to slow me down because those are harder to do right now because I'm not, you know, as fit. So I'm going to get a slower time and that's okay because I'm, it's going to make me better long-term. So thinking a little more long-term with these cleans, I'm not going to allow myself to get sloppy and do an early arm bend. I'm going to keep my arms straight. I'm going to really use my legs and I'm going to, you know, keep my core braced. And that might mean I need to set up and kind of visualize those things before each rep, which will take me longer. And then the other thing that people with good technique do is they're filming themselves. So they set up their camera, they film their reps after the set, they watch their reps or maybe in the evening they're watching their reps and when you first start that, you don't really know what you're looking for. might be like, I don't know, it looks fine to me. <laughs> but if you just keep watching that and you go on YouTube and you find videos of, you know, an Olympic weightlifter or, you know, professional CrossFitter, or maybe like a video that has like from Power Monkey Fitness or Men's Health, uh, where they have like, hey, here's some technical cues and you know, here's some drills on your uh, ring muscle up or your deadlift. And if you're just like constantly looking for that information, constantly watching your videos, eventually you'll become kind of your own coach and you can start to identify and oh you know what I've been watching these videos every day and now finally I'm seeing that I'm not uh you know I'm, I'm pitching forward in my deadlift you know instead of like staying tight okay well how do I fix that well ask your coach or you know figure it out right and it's, it's going to take time right it's not it's not something some athletes that are like really you know in tune with their body can change those things immediately I'm not one of those people it takes me a bit of time and for most people it's going to be the same and so you know, developing the habits that people that move well have so that eventually you can be one of those people. Do you, do you think there's a there's a kind of argument to be made, especially this time of year, um, over the next few months in moving mindfully and gracefully, as you say, in the lifts that require it and, and building your engine and building your fitness in other low skill ways? Yeah. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. I think that's like, you know, I, I think there's some original CrossFit thing. What is it? It's a, a technique something and then intensity unless there's like a uh, the, the pyramid right and so, yeah. yeah anyway but yeah and so you know and i still do this in my training like if i'm trying to you know like if i'm working on my um my ring muscle up technique you know they're not in metcons lately for me right it's like they're in emoms so it's like okay do three to five ring muscle ups i mean every minute but what it really is is do three to five ring muscle ups watch the video set up the camera again do three to five you know so it ends up being a minute 20 or so yeah. <laughs> um you know, that's what my ring muscle ups look like. It's not just like, oh, I need to get better at them. Okay, I'm going to do a workout that has 50 in there. Just like, let's see what happens. Like, I know what's going to happen. They're not going to look yeah. that great because I'm going <laughs> to yeah. be tired. And so I'm getting my fitness maybe doing, you know, like ski erg and burpees and dips and strict pull-ups and kipping pull-ups, movements that I do well. And I can do them in a Metcon or in a conditioning piece or obviously, you know, something like a salt bike or running. And then once I develop 
quality movement mechanics. And it's like, all right, let's add in some fatigue with something simple like a run or an assault bike and then start to add it in with m more dynamic movements that really tire you out like power cleans and burpee box jumps and then into ring muscle ups and see if you can kind of still maintain those patterns. That's like, that's how I do it. Yeah. Um, and that's how I'd recommend most people do it. It's like, if you're, it's like, if your double under is terrible, it's like, well, probably just throwing them into the middle of a tough workout. Yeah. They're not yeah. going to get better, <laughs> yeah. you know, but if you just have structured specific practice where it's like, all right, you know, do a max set of double unders until either technical failure or you trip, take a 20 second break, do it again, watch some footage. It's like, are you doing something strange with your arms or are they nice and tight? Yeah. yeah. It's almost like you're you're earning the right to integrate them into a Metcon rather than yeah. making the Metcon the primary thing. I mean, if I just keep doing more Metcons, I'm yeah. gonna get better at these eventually. <laughs> yeah, it right? doesn't really yeah. work that way. Yeah. I mean it it does to a certain extent, yeah. but there'll be a ceiling, right? There'll yeah. be a, there'll be a point where you're like, hmm, okay, now I do need to scale back. I do need to figure this movement out for real. Uh if you wanna like and I think, I think what the trouble is that a lot of people have is they're like, oh, I would do that, Brent, but the open's right around the corner. Yeah. I got to smash workouts. And you keep, ha there's always something, you know, there's, you can, you can, oh, but you can, oh, but your way for 10 years. And then you'll look back and go, huh, if I just, you know, it always seems like something that's happening right away is really yeah. important, but it really isn't. What's important is the one after that or the one after that. And so. You know, I'm still doing that stuff right up until leading up until the biggest events of the year for me that make me money uh, where I'm, you know, right leading up to Rogue. It's like I wasn't doing, you know, crazy workouts with ring muscle ups. We were still doing them, you know, mostly by themselves. And then you had a really good ring muscle up workout at Rogue. Like you don't have to be smashing yourself with these crazy Metcons all the time. Like you need to figure out what you need to work on and, you know, actually work on it. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I've got a round of five quick fire questions right. to you. So just as you can tell, I'm very yeah. good at answering very quickly. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was debating whether or not just to scrap this part. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? No, I'll, I'll, I've, I've done this before in interviews and my answers aren't quick. So, so help me. I'm going to do it. I can so, do it. First answer to come to your head and we, we'll just cut any pauses out. <laughs> yeah. Or, or any it, rambling. Okay. We'll make yeah. it a little like quick fire. <laughs> Who would be your dream team to head to the games with out of any athlete in CrossFit history? In history? Mm. All right, so it's got to be, I'm going to have to go with people that are on the taller side because I've done the worm with shorter athletes and it's terrible. So uh, I'd go with Chad McKay. I'd go with like Spencer Hendel. Uh, on the women's side, I'd go with maybe like Amanda Barnhart. I'd go with uh, like Annie Thor's daughter and Laura Horvath. Nice. Easy, easy question because you, you could kind of filter it for that height thing. You don't have, yeah. to, make, you don't have to make anyone feel bad. Was, yeah. I would have said you, but you're short. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite games workout? That I've done or I've seen? Both. Both? Uh, that I've done probably, ooh, man, that I've done. Uh, probably Strongman Sphere. Oh, yeah. That was cool. Like just the implement, all the implements out there. And then visually, probably the killer cage with the monkey bars. Nice, yeah. nice. That I haven't done yet. If you could only train with one piece of kit for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh. You can have body weight. You can have a pull-up bar as gratis. Okay, yeah. yeah. Then, then probably a barbell. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Or adjustable dumbbells, like a set of dumbbells or adjustable dumbbells. Yeah. Got it on a technicality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. But a barbell. Ones, yeah. 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 <laughs> what advice would you give yourself as you go back to the to 2012, your, your first CrossFit workout? Oh, man. What advice would I give myself? Oh, I know what it would be. Um, 
like trust your instincts. Like if there was, if there's something you feel you need to change, whether it's with like a coach or training and there's like, you know, like there's this instinct, like, mm, I feel like I need to do more of this or less of this, or I need to make this change. Don't wait a month or a year because it'll fester. And I think that's good advice in general. It's like if you're in a relationship with you know, a job or you're like, oh, I should, I should really look for another job or oh, I should maybe leave this, but it's not, it's like, do it. Like rip the bandaid off. That would be the advice I'd give myself in 2012. It's not really specifically about training. It's about the relationships and the, the moving parts and the around the training. If you weren't doing CrossFit, what other sport do you think you would be involved in? I'd still be involved in volleyball. Yeah, indoor and beach for sure. Yeah. Cool. Where can people find more about you or find you online, Brent? Mm. Uh, follow me on Instagram, at Fikowski, my last name. And uh, yeah, that's kind of the main spot. I'm on, I'm on Facebook as well, but it's kind of just resharing from Instagram as we all do. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, check out Train Your Weakness and The Professor Project, two companies that have some programming there. But yeah, check me out on Instagram. Good stuff. Thanks Thank so you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you.